This is Kazuki Buishi. I'm on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, and thanks for listening. And somehow, by developing secret accounts first and getting that idea in college to do something with Irish art and folklore and, and history, that led to Song of the Sea. And then during Song of the Sea, my next movie, Wolfwalkers, stories that I really wanted to tell based on Irish folklore and history. So I will make one more, but then after that, I don't know. I always joke I'm going to make a movie about girls in bikinis on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Here are your hosts. Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are at the GBB Podcast on Twitter, at the GBB Podcast on Facebook, and I am Justin Connors, 140 Justin C on Twitter. How's it going, Jamie? Uh, it's going really well. <laughs> um, I'm Jamie at the Robots on Twitter. It's Justin, it's Justin we have to that. throw our Twitter at all times. I need those followers. <laughs> Daddy has to get paid, baby. <laughs> Anyway, uh, things are, are, are really well. How are they with you, Justin? They are fantastic. And when you told me who we were going to have on this week, uh, Tom Moore, I immediately went to Netflix to watch Secret of the Kells. And if you, guys, if you haven't seen this film yet, okay, pause our episode right now and go watch it and then come back and listen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Secret of the Kells is on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Amazon or anything else where you can stream, right. but it's fairly easy to get. Uh, his second film is Song of the Sea, which I think is better than Secret of the Kells, um, but they both are just absolutely phenomenal. And I will second that suggestion. So mm -hmm. if you have not seen either of those films, turn us off, go <laughs> find the films, watch them, and then come back. And in Canada, you can actually find Secret of the Kells. I was I gave misinformation, shame on me. Um, it's not on Netflix in Canada, but you can find it on Show Me, which is another streaming service here in Canada. So you can find it there, and definitely go do it now. Okay, we'll wait. All right, you're back. Awesome. <laughs> I was gonna sing the the the, the Jeopardy song. <laughs> All right, Jamie, why don't you t why don't you tell us about Tom Moore? So yeah, as we just said, uh, Tom Moore directed Secret of the Kells and Song of the Sea. He started Cartoon Saloon Studio over in Ireland, um, and both of his films were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Um, so talk about starting off strong. <laughs> um, both films are steeped in Irish um, history and folklore. Uh, they're both hand-drawn, traditionally animated films. Um, and they're both just phenomenally good. Um, they are, we, we talk about this in the interview. They are, if, if all you know about animated films are like DreamWorks and mm -hmm. Sony and Disney and um, not so much Pixar, but uh, if that's all you know, like quick edits, you know, fart jokes and, you know, slapstick comedy, yep. then you really need to check these films out. Um, they are they are serious films with a mm -hmm. with, with serious story and they're 
you know, they're, they're, they're deliberate. They're, they're fairly dark and, um, they don't treat kids like dumb little audience members. You know, <laughs> they treat them like, you know, thinking, you know, people that can actually follow the story and, and get involved with, with, with deeper, um, emotions and, and storylines. So what I think I hear you saying is this film is a little deeper than Minions. You know, I've never seen Minions, so I can't really say, but my my gut is saying yes. Okay. And Minions has its place, but this is a beautiful, they're beautiful films. Go check them out. We're going to play our interview with Tom Moore right now. Hope you enjoy. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I'm a huge fan of your films, um, as are my kids. And they're, that when I told them that uh, we were talking today, they got very, very jealous. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, I guess I wanted to start with sort of an obvious question from my perspective is why did you want or why did you start your own studio so early in your career? Did you, did you need an environment that you couldn't find anywhere else or were you just looking for a challenge? Um, I think the thing is that we started it straight out of college and I guess there was a part of me at least that thought we'd do it for a while and then get real jobs and then just like 16 years later it kind of became our real job you know yeah um when we graduated uh hand-drawn animation was kind of uh, everyone was talking about it being in trouble around 2000 2000 and we were really wanted to keep going with hand-drawn animation a lot of our friends are going into video games and immigrating. Most of the big uh, hand-drawn animation studios in Ireland, like the Don Bluth studio or Jimmy Murakami studio, were closing down. And so it was really kind of a wasteland that we graduated into in the Irish scene anyway. So rather than emigrating or whatever, I had been a member of Young Irish Filmmakers, and I knew we could get some kind of a grant for a couple of years. And in our naivety, uh, we just thought we could combine this fairly tiny grant that kind of paid us for half the week and then do some kind of commercial work for the other half of the week. And somehow we imagined we could make an independent feature film. <laughs> but, you know, we were 22 and pretty green, but, I mean, it did give us a start. And then once we'd sort of started, um, it, it kind of, we just kind of kept going, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of alluded to this. So you started Cartoon Saloon in 99, and yeah. it was more than 10 years before Secret of Kells uh, got made. So looking back, do you think that you still would have made that leap and started your own studio if you had known like how long it was going to take to make that feature in advance? Well, I don't know. If I think back to my 22-year-old self, I think we always thought it was going to go into production next year. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a kind of, it was, it was a, there was a couple of falling off periods. I remember um, after the first year or two, some of the people I had kind of joined kind of got a little disillusioned. We lost a few people um, and they went and got, as I said, real jobs. Yeah. Those of us who kept going had learned enough about the industry to realize that we were going to have to kind of prove ourselves for a few years. So we were we were happy enough to do that for another while. But I mean, in 2001, we met our co-producers and they were the DDA Brunner and Vivian Van Fletteren. And they had been working on the triplets of Belleville. Mm -hmm. So we sort of felt like, you know, when that project was finished and they were ready, we'd be able to go into production. And it's true, around 2005 was when we finally went into production properly with uh, Secret of Kells. So, yeah, we were kind of proving ourselves. We were working and there was definitely a couple of periods where I thought, oh, maybe this is not going to work out and I'm going to have wasted my 20s here, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was scary, you know. It was definitely a few scary moments. 
I think it's hard to do it now, though. I think I think for anybody who's kind of worked in the business, uh, it takes real bravery to jump out of the the steadiness sure. of a salary or even of a, of a kind of freelance career and try and make, do your own thing. So there's a certain amount of the naivety that comes with being young and kind of stupid. Yeah, <laughs> is almost required to do. Yeah, something. that's the time you have to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can live on you know beans and toast or whatever. <laughs> you know. Um, Secret of the Kells was more or less of a passion project for you from the very beginning. So what was it about that story that made it so compelling for you as an animator and storyteller? You know, what was funny is that that the story changed a lot over the years. I originally developed it with a guy called Aiden Hart and we had been in school together and in college together. He ended up developing another show with us called Skunk Fu and he focused on that. But when we first started working on it, Honestly, we were animation students and what we really wanted to do was come up with a story that would showcase a kind of Irish or Celtic design style and something that would really work great in hand-drawn animation. So we kind of came at it backwards. We kind of came at it as artists first, which is really the wrong way to do things. And it actually took us quite a while to find the actual story that we wanted to tell. And it ended up being almost like a self-reflexive story where we kind of told the story of a little artist and he's trying to trying to create the Book of Kells against all these all these dangers and stuff. So it sort of it sort of grew from a passion that we had where we just wanted to make something. <laughs> yeah. It feel it feels like actually now that you mention that, it feels like that the story is a reflection of what you guys were going through. Like the the, the frustrations and the the roadblocks that were put in your way just to create, you know, he's trying to create this book and you're just trying to create this film. Yeah. And it seems very much a mirror of what you guys were going through. There was something self-reflexive there. And then we had a few drafts done but they weren't really working for the audience that DDA was aiming towards, which was still a kind of artsy audience, but he wanted it to work for kids too. So he uh, put us in touch with um, a screenwriter called Fabrice Okowski, and he wrote the, the final version. And I mean, the final script that we had had elements from all those previous incarnations, but it was much more focused on, you know, we, we kind of brought in uh, much stronger elements like Ashling and all that, all the kind of magic and stuff. And I think that's what really made the film resonate with younger audiences as well. But for us, yeah, it was largely a story of a struggling artist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, both of your films were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. I'm curious to know, because a lot of people say, you know, we hear those of us who are on the outside, we hear people say like, oh, it's great just to be nominated or, oh, you know, it's that, you know, I never thought that I'd be nominated, blah, blah, blah. I'm wondering how much stock do you put in awards, particularly the Academy Awards? I think I think I understand the value of them because something like the Academy Awards is just a simple one line thing that everyone understands. I mean, the Academy have done such a great job of branding those awards and i know that the animation branch are the ones who nominate us so it means a lot that our peers nominate us you know other animators nominate right. us. especially because for secret of kells it proved i hadn't wasted my 20s you know <laughs> <laughs> like, you know and it really was like that because we you know we released a movie and it did win awards but you know most people if you say oh we won the edinburgh film festival audience award they go <laughs> oh that's nice or you know it means a lot to us or even when we won the audience award in Annecy, you know, people are like, oh, that's nice. But if you say an Oscar nomination, yeah. they're like, oh, okay, you're serious. You're legit. You know, you're kind yeah, of, right. especially here in Ireland. Like I live in a small town here in Ireland. So like in LA, you're kind of nominated until you lose. But here in Ireland, in a small town, you practically won an Oscar just by being nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so it really, it really meant a lot just that it's a certain validation. 
and uh, and of course with sea, Song of the Sea, it was much more. It was like okay, the first time wasn't just a fluke, so it was nice too. I mean, it, it means a lot. It, it certainly helps, I think, when you're trying to make these independent movies. Mm-hmm. It gives them a little extra cachet. Yeah. It's quite hard to reach an audience. It's another thing that allows them to trust you and and kind of allows actors to trust you when you approach them to do voices, other animators if you want them to join, or even funders, they might take you that bit more seriously haven't done that, do you know? Yeah. Well, it's amazing, too, to get, you know, to get nominated as a small independent film. Uh, I mean, you're up against juggernauts, obviously, like Disney. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and just having that nomination, I know know when people hear it, like what you were saying, it doesn't... I mean, winning is awesome, but if you don't win, you can just say, you know, I'm an Oscar nominated, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know if we, I don't know if it's possible to win because there's so much marketing and stuff involved in reaching the right. much broader academy. But yeah, just being at the table is pretty cool. I mean, with Secret of Kells, it was really special because it came out of nowhere and it created a lot of noise. Now it has become clear that the the branch, the the animation branch, I'm a member of it now too, have a an overall fondness for these type of indie right. movies which is which is cool but it's become a little bit more expected that some of these indie movies will get nominated but when secret of kells was nominated it really came out of nowhere for us and for everyone mm-hmm. and so it's really exciting that way you know well i mean that's interesting because i mean even if you're not directly motivated by awards you know i don't think anybody really goes into i'm going to make this movie in the hopes of getting nominated or in the hopes oh, of winning gosh. an award. Um, so even if you're not motivated by that, I'm sure that having your first two films straight out of the gate, you know, regardless of how long it took, they were your first two major feature films out of the gate. They were both nominated for the big one, at least here in the States. I'm sure that that ramps up expectations. Um, oh, but yeah. I'm, which do you think that that cachet as you're saying which do you think that has has affected more others expectations for you and your films or your own expectations for yourself uh that's a good question i'm not sure i mean it, it certainly when we were making secret accounts at the end of the day if it had turned out terrible the only people who would have suffered would have been us <laughs> you know what i mean there was nobody waiting for it there was nobody expecting it and uh, and basically it was you know it was we were kind of under the radar when we were making song of the sea i definitely had that sense I, I kind of sensed that this was like a second album it was like a follow-up you know and you hear musicians talk about that difficult second album so i was conscious of it but you try and put that out of your mind i mean anything like that is so out of your control all you can really control is making the best film you can yeah. so you just try and just focus on that and if you're true to yourself i think i think you can't really go wrong even if i've even heard people who've made films that are you know reasonably unpopular or whatever but if they felt that the time they spent making it they were spent like honestly trying to do the best for them they could they can hold their head up you know sure so. sure i don't know if that answers your question oh <laughs> no it does absolutely that's sort of how i feel about it now something many people uh might not realize is that cartoon saloon does a lot of commercial work which i imagine uh supports a lot of the feature films you work on um you also work on a few tv series including puff and rock do you, have a, do you have a formula where you pick and choose your projects or do you just you kind of look at what's given to you? How do, how do you go about your process? We mainly try and focus on our own uh, our own projects or if we do right. work for hire, we like it to be like, I mean, at the very start, we just did whatever paid the bills, you know, and we worked on all sorts of stuff and we did, you know, commercials and used to do like e-cards and like whatever, you know, illustrations for like school books, whatever. Right. And as years have gone on, we've tried to 
either have one of our own projects in production, like Puffin Rock, for example, is one of our own mm -hmm. uh, that we developed here ourselves. Or if we're doing work for hire, we try and make sure that the client is coming to us for what we do rather than asking us to just like sort of follow orders and be a kind of factory because we're just not really good at that. Right. And it's it's a whole other business model. So I guess how we, we pick the projects is usually the ones that either bubble up from the, the group here or projects that come in and really resonate with somebody here. And, and generally our projects are led by one passionate person here in the studio, either a creator or a director or a producer, somebody who really wants to get it made. And, and because they're such unusual projects, they're never markedly commercial. There's nobody like chomping at the bit trying to give us money for them. So the way they get made is that somebody really, really is passionate about. And that's as unscientific and uncalculated as, as a green light process as we have. <laughs> Um, we've had on the show quite a few uh, animators, and I think to to the last person, every one of them bemoans the loss of traditional animation, traditional hand-drawn animation in feature films, um, at least from big studios. Uh, but both of your films are, are hand-drawn. And I'm wondering, did you, I mean, I, I'm guessing that that was a conscious decision to go that route, but how did you go about deciding that, you know, in this, industry where this process is slowly or very rapidly dying away this is the this is the direction that we're going to go as a company yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard i mean we didn't have a really big clever business plan we loved hand-drawn animation and we wanted to do hand-drawn animation when we graduated and as i said you know i started college in 95 when toy story came out so there was wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth and, and like you know we all thought we'd work for don bluth and then he was gone and then we thought we might work in disney paris and then that was gone so really right from the start we were aware we were kind of outliers you know um but there is a vibrant tradition in europe um, there was still a and there still is a, a great tradition coming from Japan and uh, we didn't feel like completely isolated just because the American studios had stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. In fact, when we clicked into that European co-production model that we use, we found that there was plenty of other studios that were still interested in, in keeping going with hand-drawn. And over the years, it's sort of become our what we're known for yeah. and it's definitely the style that I feel we're most fluent in that we mean not ruling out that we wouldn't dip our toe in doing something more digital and we certainly do some a lot of digital 2d now like for our tv shows but uh, that look I, I think it's it's kind of there's an illustrative aesthetic that kind of sets our studio mm -hmm. apart and that's what we kind of even though it might pigeonhole us a bit we don't even bother trying to compete with the cg studios we just try and do our own thing and stand out that way. You know? Exactly. It's worked for you so far. I don't see why you would try to compete with something that's, I mean, this is a, this is a proven formula for you at this point. I mean, it's gorgeous and that's so much so that, you know, the, the accolades that you guys have gotten for the films, I would say that it's maybe, I don't know if it's half and half, but obviously the stories are very strong, but the animation style and that hand-drawn aesthetic is, is really what sets you guys apart. And I think no, that, I I think for sure on Secret of Kells, there was largely a lot of attention for being sort of hand-drawn and very different looking. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the in, and then with Song of the Sea, we tried to focus a lot more on the story. Um, even though we'd worked on the story a lot in Secret of Kells, but I mean, on Song of the Sea, it was right from the start. It was it was sort of more. I was more conscious. I wanted to get make sure that I, would, I was trying to prove that we could be a little bit more commercial and less esoteric and arty um, with the story. And still have that kind of arty style, and yeah. it kind of worked. But for me, there's something about hand-drawn animation that's kind of timeless. Um, if you look at Bambi, and then you look at you know a modern hand-drawn film, they don't seem like it doesn't feel like 
it's it's a medium that still has a timelessness. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at Toy Story One and Toy Story Three, you can see that the technology has moved on so much, and you know CG dates so quickly. Um, I do think there's something very uh, you know evergreen about hand drawn animation that that you know it, it's justifiable. I think to keep working in it that way. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. We just um, my kids just they're not he, the biggest fans of Snow White, but uh, we picked it up on Blu-ray. And you pop it in, and I mean, this movie was made in 1939, yeah. and you know, I mean, granted, it, it's benefited from the Blu-ray transfer, but it looks like it could have been released this year. I mean, yeah. the the colors are vibrant, and the, the, the like you're saying, the timelessness of it, it just looks gorgeous. And I think that you're absolutely right. In another 75 years, it's going to look just as good, just as you know, Song of the Sea or Secret of the Kells, or you can put them beside each other. And show them to a kid, and I think I would wager to guess that a kid wouldn't even be able to guess which one was older, which one was newer. Sure, exactly, yeah, and that, that's what I, I think is really special. And there's a, a very ancient language of painting and drawing that hand-drawn animation taps into um, that's kind of timeless, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that the big U.S. studios are watching you know, your success and the success of some of these other European films and thinking about a return to traditional 2D animation? Uh, that would be nice to think, but <laughs> my feeling is they look at us and they see that our that we're really just carving out a small niche. Yeah, and they're happy enough to let us yeah. exist in that niche. I mean, I think well, you know it works for us. It's a very small business model. It's like they're in the blockbuster game. They make so much money. They spend so much money making those movies. They have to make as much money as they do, and they're just on another. They're just playing another business. You know, it's another business model. But I, I do, I do take comfort. I mean, I definitely thought after Secret of Kells, it was one time where I thought I should get a real job, and I was going to give up <laughs> Song of the Sea. And I just thought, okay, I've, I've done it now, and it's so bloody hard. And uh, maybe I should take a job in a studio. And, and I made some friends in some of the studios, and all of them, to a man, were like, "Don't do it! Don't, don't, don't come here! Nobody wants to, you know. Make another one, you know. You're living the dream." Yeah. Kind of and uh, you know. Uh, it, it was encouraging, you know, because I could feel that they they would love to be able to do it. You know? yeah. So do you think that it's up to like international and small studios to keep that form alive? I don't know. I, 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 I try not to get too caught up in keeping the form alive and, and try and just focus on, you know, the best story that, you know, making sure the stories that we're telling, you know, are, are the right story for this <laughs> medium. Um, I wouldn't like to take on the kind of mantle of saving hand-drawn animation or anything like that. <laughs> I think that I think that it's coming a bit like stop motion. It's becoming kind of like a specialized craft that would still be a valid choice for the big studios if they decided to go that way. Um, with the right story. And you'd hope that somebody like John Lasseter would have the vision to, to know that that would be a, a genuine option, but I just, I'm just not sure what's going on over there now. So in the meantime, yeah, I think it's going to be down to the, the indie scene to keep uh, hand-drawn going. Keep working, keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> <laughs> so both of your films, Secret of the Kells and Song of the Sea, absolutely break the mold of children films, at least in here in North America and the U.S. Um, they're mostly quiet. They're deliberately paced and uh, dark in some places. Did you ever get any pushback? Or have any doubts about whether the films were going to work with younger audiences, or are European audiences just a lot different than over here? Because we're we're so desensitized to you know we need it fast and. <laughs> no, no, no. Secret of Kells, I worry a little bit about how dark it was because certainly the story, you know, was a retooling of something a bit more grown up, and 
you know, I, it retained some elements. You know, we really focused on a, a kind of mythic structure um, that did require, uh, and the stakes needed to be genuinely high with, you know, a Viking raid and all that stuff. So I did, I was conscious that Secret of Kells was kind of heavy um, to focus as a, on a kid audience. So I was actually really happy how well it worked. Mm-hmm. With Song of the Sea, right from the start, I mean, my wife is a primary school teacher. And so I'd, um, I'd show rough cuts of the story reels to her class as we were developing the story. I always wanted to make sure that they were relating to it and it was keeping their attention. And uh, I found that really useful, actually, kind of testing it as we went as we went along. Yeah. No, and it absolutely worked. I took both of my kids uh, in the theater when it was released here in the States. And they this, they were, I guess they were four or three and five at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they both just really attached to it. And there were moments in there that are, you know, like they're a little bit dark and they potentially mm-hmm. scary. Um, mm-hmm. But they just, they, they, they were enthralled for the entire time and they just loved it. And as soon as it ended, they immediately said, we want, we want to see it again. You know, oh, wow. like, that's great. To hear. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, as soon as it came out on Blu-ray here, we had to grab it because they were just so in love with it. And she, my daughter especially was singing the song for, for <laughs> weeks and weeks afterwards. <laughs> um, so I, I would say it's definitely, you know, job well done. And it's, it's. It, I think that more than the traditional hand-drawn aesthetic or the look is is something that I think a lot of a lot more studios should look at. That kids don't need to have these, you know, fast-cut MTV edited, you know, poor poorly thought-out stories when they're more than willing and you know they want to be able to have these great stories that they can connect to and and get a little deeper. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, recently, um, a, a cinema in Dublin uh, decided to show movies from the 80s. And it was a, a screening called uh, the, the Movies You Watched as a Kid That You Wished Your Kids Could See or something like nice. that. Nice. And, uh, I went to see some of them and I realized that I grew up on and like some of them are kind of jangly now when you look at them and a bit ropey but a lot of those movies they were they were darker they were they were playing with more archetypal themes stuff from fairy tales and stuff and they were different i mean we went to see like the dark crystal oh yeah labyrinth and the goonies and you know et and all that stuff and even like the disney movie the black cauldron and the secret Mm -hmm. don bluth they had a different feel to them you know and i guess they just influenced me somewhere along the line yeah, and those are, I mean, those are some of my favorite films, all the ones that you just mentioned. I mean, those are ones that I grew up with as well. And, you know, I'm probably one of the few people who really prefers The Black Cauldron over a lot of the other <laughs> Disney films. Um, but yeah, so I mean, those are the films that I've also shared with my kids. So maybe that's where they get their, their you know, their, what they appreciate um, from the from that influence. But uh, yeah, I just wish, I wish more studios would make films that actually made kids think, you know, or think about things that were more than just, you know, fart jokes and punching yeah. people, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the fart jokes and the white cracks and stuff. I exactly. Know. But there's some there are some beautiful films we made. Like I'm amazed that within that system, which is such a commercial system that somebody mm-hmm. like Pete Doctor is able to make such kind of yeah. artifact or genuine you know, films that seem genuinely from a, a filmmaker's yeah. uh, to view rather than just something pretty calculated to be commercially successful so yeah uh, thankfully it's amazing animation is an amazing medium that way that it can be such a big blockbuster and so calculated and still you have some directors who are able to find yeah. their books within that system yeah i think the studio ghibli films though i mean oh. they're a great legacy for kids and, and because of the the look and and the setting of them a lot of them i think will last for generations oh i think so too totally. 
it, like we were saying, you know, the look, you know, Totoro is, I don't even, it's, it's what, 30, mm. 35 years old at this point, I think. <laughs> And again, you pop it in and my kids love it. It could have been made last year and it's it's timeless. The jokes land every time. The charm of it is it never gets old. Um, and most of their films are like that too. So, yeah, yeah I definitely agree. That's fantastic pace and everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, back to you, though. Both of your films are, are steeped in, in Irish history and culture. Um, how important is it to you to stay true to that as you move forward with your your next job and your next project and your next film? Can you see yourself developing a film that's like completely different and and not tied to you know Ireland or Irish history at all? Uh, for sure. And yeah. I mean, the next the next uh, feature from the studio is not being directed by me. It's being directed by Nora Toomey, who is the co-director on Secret of Chaos. And uh, it's it's set in Afghanistan. It's it's uh, about a little girl who has to pretend to be a boy uh, under the Taliban in two thousand and one uh, in order to provide for her family. So it's really really different, you know. Um, for me, my own my own movies, the stories that have come from me, I guess they're. I always say it's a bit like chain smoking, you know. <laughs> you like the next one off the butt of the previous one. Yeah. And somehow by developing Secret of Kells first and getting that idea way back in college to do something with Irish art and folklore and, and history. That led to Song of the Sea. And then during Song of the Sea, my next movie, Wolfwalkers, you know, was something that bubbled to the surface. And it, I was just sort of swimming in that water. And it was just so much good stuff there that I, I ended up with three stories that I really wanted to tell based on Irish folklore and history. So I will make one more. But then after that, I don't know. I always joke I'm going to make a movie about girls in bikinis on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it would be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> what's the um, what's the biggest difference you see between European and, you know, I guess North American audiences, especially with respect to children's films? Oh, I am I am less and less sure there's a big difference. I feel that the the strength of the American output and the marketing and stuff is that the large majority of the young audiences will pick an American or even an American <laughs> style movie first. Thankfully, you know, places like France and Belgium still have a tradition of not just supporting, but actually, you know, uh, endorsing and, and funding more artistic films. And they have a very strong uh, industry of their own. But I feel like it's a constant struggle. I mean, there's a there's a forum here in Europe every year called Cartoon Movie, where animated movie producers get together and where we often find co-producers for your projects. And I do feel that year after year, there's there's always the interesting projects that continue to be made. But there's more and more every year of what I call sort of mid-Atlantic uh, you know, people trying to do a movie that, okay, it's been made in Europe, but they do everything they can to make it look like an American movie. And that's mm -hmm. simply because they can piggyback by looking a little bit like Pixar, even if it looks like cheap Pixar, they can kind of cash in on that audience, you know. So it's a challenge. It's definitely more a, more and more a, a kind of an artistic uh, point of view than a commercial point of view here to keep making movies like this, unfortunately. Yeah. So what that leads us into this question, and I'm really curious about this. What two European or just non-U.S. animated films would you like all Americans to see or you could recommend as something we should watch, something uh, we might not have heard of? 
Just two. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be limited to two if you've got you know, more. <laughs> you know, I think I think what's great is G Kids have been doing a great job of bringing a lot of movies. You know, like I loved Ernest and Celestine. Have you seen that? Yes. Uh, that was a that was a beautiful movie. I thought from France. Um, and and I mean, like every year, there seems to be something more. Like I, I love the boy in the world. Did you see that? It's from. It's uh, the new like, one, right? I haven't. I've yeah, not seen the new one. That's no. really really lovely. Uh, it's it's from uh, South America, and then uh, I mean, I worked on a movie called The Prophet with mm-hmm. Kelly Brown, and we all did lots of different people from all over the world did different chapters uh, of that. So I, I hope people discover that. But I mean, there's so many. I mean, I love uh, European. Eastern European animation from like the 70s, mm-hmm. like, bef- like before the kind of wall came down. So like there's a great series of Hungarian folktales, literally just called that the Hungarian folktales. And there's about a hundred of them and they're just amazing. And if anyone can, if you can find them, they're just really great. They're really in the style of like Hungarian folk art and they're really cleverly and, and really cheerfully animated, they're really lovely little, and they're short, you know, there's like a hundred five or between five and 10 minute long folktales. So they're really, they're really wor- well worth searching out. You. Yeah, I, I again, for, for whatever it's worth, I will definitely throw my two cents into G Kids. I think they they're doing phenomenal work, and I I am the biggest evangelist that I know for what, <laughs> for the films that they they distribute, and I shout it from the rooftops to anybody who will listen. You know, if if G Kids if G Kids is distributing it, you can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be a fantastic film. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, we met them, they had only really set up, they hadn't done anything really yet, or a couple of small releases or co-releases. Um, and they were mainly just a branch of the New York Children's Film Festival. And since Kells, their company has grown to such an extent that they're they're pretty major investors now in Breadwinner. Yeah. You know, they've, 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 they've grown in the 10 years um, phenomenally. Yeah, they distribute some of the the Ghibli ones that Disney doesn't pick up too. So that's it. They've got the Ghibli catalog now. It's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I know we're running out of time with you. I just you mentioned your next film. I'm just you know, can you can you tell us any more about it? When we're going to be able to see it? Well, I mean, Breadwinner is going to be the next <laughs> the next movie that the studio releases. It'll probably be available next year. Um, it's uh, being exec produced by the actor Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. and it has a pretty, a pretty uh, decent uh, budget, and it's it's really a step up in a lot of different ways for us. I feel I feel it's going to be a really special film, um, really really different. Not like as I said, it's set in, in relatively modern day Afghanistan as opposed to uh, Ireland. So I think I think audiences will be surprised and delighted with it. Excellent. And Wolf Walkers. Well, Walkers is a bit further away. I mean, we're still in the sort of writing, storyboarding, designing phase. So um, hopefully that will be hopefully that will be released in the next couple of years. But you know yourself, it's always next year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we'll be definitely looking forward to it. Tom, thank you so much for your time. This has been phenomenal. Thanks, guys. Appreciate thank you it. so much. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. How did you like that interview? You're asking me or rhetorically to the audience? But I'm rhetorically asking. Okay. (laughs) I I loved it. I thought it was a great interview. (laughs) It was fantastic. And you know what? Um, like just his film style and Secret of the Cousin. I'm I'm really interested. Like those are traditional. We were talked about it. They're they're Irish history and culture type films. And he was talking about his next film, which is going to be set in Afghanistan. I think that's going to be really really neat to see that shift for him. See where where it goes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, he's not directing that, but it's still obviously it's coming out of the studio, right. so it's it's going to have that same look and feel. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm really interested in seeing that. And we, I, I said this in the interview about G Kids. Um, if you have not been checking out the film, G Kids is not a studio; they're just a distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do here in the states is they distribute some of these fantastic international films. Um, they distributed both of Tom's films. Um, they distribute some of the Ghibli movies uh, out of Japan that Disney doesn't pick up. Um, uh, this is a shameless plug on my part, but over on my website, over on the, the robots, I've been doing, um, like a, a G kids retrospective where I'm, I'm going through a film at a time, um, and just sort of the reviews, but it's also, it talks a little bit about the history, the culture, where they mm-hmm. come from, how you can find them here in the States, you know, whether you'll like them as an adult, whether your kids will like them because, like we said, they're not traditional, what you would might think of as children's films. They're not the Minions. You right. know what I mean? So it's, um, some of them have a lot more mature themes and mm-hmm. themes, things like that. So um, if I remember, I'll, I'll, send, I'll include the link for this episode, right. just some of those posts. And I love to see the storytelling circling back to that. Because if you remember, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were children authors, even though, you know, their mm-hmm. movies are put out for adults to enjoy. Like Lord of the Rings was a children's book when it came out. So yeah, didn't, well, didn't The Hobbit it. definitely was a children's book. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings was written for a little bit more of an advanced reader, but it was still ultimately right. a children's story at its heart. Right, and it's just it's fascinating to see, you know, it's, it's amazing to see what good storytelling can do. And, yeah. and I'm, a, I'm a fan of good storytelling. <laughs> and who is it? Really, right? <laughs> yeah, Jamie doesn't like it. <laughs> I, I, I really do prefer just crappy storytelling. Yeah, yeah. It's full of plot holes. <laughs> Full of fart jokes. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. It, the dumber <laughs> it can be, the better. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for hitting subscribe and downloading. Um, share with your friends if you like what we're doing. Uh, it helps us grow. It helps us attract more guests and different types of guests. And also let us know who you want to see. Is there an area of the geekdom pop culture universe we're not hitting that you want to hear about? We'll, we'll talk to anybody. <laughs> really, we will. No, I mean, I mean, we're not we're not relegated to comics or Star Wars or no. you know, we'll do anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just look at who we've had on, I mean, we've had actors, directors, right. animators, authors, artists. You know, we've we've we really are trying to sort of run the gamut of the types of people who create, you know, geek and pop mm-hmm. culture. Um, and yeah, so we're interested. I mean, we'll, we'll if. If somebody is out there pouring their heart into something, right. um, they've got a story to tell, and we, we want to hear it. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast, and you can also call us. Jamie has that phone number. It's 301-825-5653. And we will play it. We played Jeff Bogle when he called, so we will play you. <laughs> and that's a threat. <laughs> maybe that's why nobody's calling yeah exactly i don't want to be played on the air all right all right guys thank you so much we'll see you next week take care this podcast has been a production of the geek dad podcast network if you've enjoyed this content please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geek dad <laughs>